Thanks for those, Ron. It's nice to hear some of those old ones. I'm never writing songs, man. I don't want that kind of trouble in my life. <laughs> hey, good morning, Machias family. How are you today? Good to see you all. Lots of smiling faces. And as we've already introduced, John and Carrie, they serve in Nebraska, as you've been told. And I got to kind of bond with them this week a little bit. Uh, they were up at a conference at Warren Beach, and we got to spend some time together. So thank you so much for coming. It's so great. And so we're going we're gonna to be uh, pen pals electronically from here on out, so I can encourage him in his ministry, and he can do the same for me. So it's so great to be able to make another brother. Hey, kids, come on up. Okay, somebody moved my bags. How's everybody doing? Good? Good. You have a good week? Yep. Okay, can you guys sit down so everybody can see this one? How many of you have heard the word faithful? Have you? Yeah. You know what? So faithful in the Bible means being true, being able to keep your promises, being able to do what's right, what you know is right, obeying when you're supposed to obey, avoiding things when you're supposed to avoid. And so how many of you are super faithful as kids? Very good. Okay. <clears throat> we pretty much have a hard time with that as human beings, though. We have a hard time being faithful. But what we know from Scripture, the Bible tells us that even when we're not faithful, 2 Timothy 2.19 13, I think it is. Even when we're not faithful, God is faithful. So, so how about you guys? And, and you say, well, yeah, I'm pretty good, but I can't do what I need to do all the time. How about it if when you did something wrong, and I'm sure it doesn't happen very often, but it happens to you sometimes. It happens to you sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I had a clue that that could be true. Um, <laughs> How would it be if your parents booted you out of the house every time you did something wrong and said, hey, well, I'm done with you? That wouldn't be nice, would it? Yeah, that, I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen to you. Um, but but, but that, would, that wouldn't be very good parents, would it? If, if, if every time we did something that our parents didn't like, they just said, you know what? I'm done with you. You can't be in the family anymore. That would be bad. Um, so in this bag, what do you think I've got here? It's a rope, right? And so this is going to do a couple things for us today. It's going to be two different things. This is God, and he is strong, and he is straight, and he never breaks, and he never breaks his promise because he is faithful. Okay? He's faithful. But sometimes, like this rope for us, let me get my scissors. Sometimes when we get this, this thing for us,
we break our promises, don't we? And we're broken, and, and, we, and we're not faithful. And God's sad, but he doesn't kick us out of the family. He says, all you have to do is confess it and repent and be sorry, and our relationship will be restored. But all through all of that, God says, no matter what you do, I am never going to be unfaithful. How did that happen? Yeah. Because God is always faithful even when we're broken. All right. That's the lesson for today. That's what these people are going to hear when you guys go downstairs. Thanks for coming up. Now, I'd tell you how I did that, but then I'd have to kill you. All right. Ah, Well, here we are, and we're still staggering around on the statement of faith. It says part six is actually the fifth point, and this is the point. So we decided we were going to go through the statement of faith and get a basis again of what it is that we believe as Christians, the essential parts of the things that we believe. And they are essential, and they're important. And we believe this in the present ministry of the Holy Spirit, by whose indwelling the Christian is enabled to live a godly life. Okay, we believe that. It says right in there, we believe. We believe that the Bible says that, that it's communicating that somehow God not only saved us, but inhabits our lives and enables us to be changed. We believe that. I believe it's true. And so we were going through this, and, and I don't know if it's just, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. I hope it's not just me. But I had some questions regarding this. <clears throat> and I said, I said, okay, this is what came to my mind. Maybe it didn't come to your mind, but what it came to my mind was if the Holy Spirit's in there, and says he is, and, and he's there and he's capable of fixing us and helping us to live a godly life, well, why am I still struggling? Why is it so hard? And then, of course, then the next Logical question would be, well, how do I get better at it? And then the third one, which is the one we're going to be talking about today, is what happens when I don't do well? What happens when I don't do well? So we're going to be exploring that. But, but why was it that it was so hard? Well, we, we recognize that there's parts of us that are still broken. Even though we've been saved... There's still parts of us that are fleshly and carnal and want what we want when we want it, and and they lead us into sin, and as we talked about last time, we have to take that part of us and put it on the altar and let God kill it so that the old us goes to the background and the new us comes to the front because the Holy Spirit is in there to kill you in your old self. Then we talked about we have to take those sins, and and the Bible is full of these lists of don't do this and do this, and the New Testament has them too, and and you think, okay, well, why are those there? Is it just a burden? No, it's to point out 
what the old self looked like so that when we see it, we can put it on the cross and the altar and let God kill it one piece at a time if necessary. And so we needed to surrender to God's Holy Spirit. We need to surrender our flesh, surrender our lives, as Romans 12.1 says. I beseech you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. And so we have to put our old selves on the altar every day because it wants to keep resurrecting itself, and we have to just let God kill it off so we can be new. And then one of the reasons why it's so hard is because we try to do that process in the flesh. On our own. God, you saved me, but I got it from here. God, I can do this. I can get better. I know I can. And we try and we try and we fail. And sometimes those failures build up and build up. Then we get discouraged and we, we're down on ourselves. And we feel shame and then we finally just give up. So how can I do better? Well, we have to submit to the Holy Spirit, right? We have to give ourselves over and, and let God do the work in us. And let, let his Holy Spirit, as we submit to him, and, and, and then we renew our minds. We change the way that we think by allowing God's Holy Spirit to change our minds. We have to take our thought process and turn it over to God. We have to spend time in Scripture, understanding who God is, what he wants, what the truth of my situation is, what God's promises are so that I can take advantage of them, knowing that he is faithful always. That his promises are always yes in Jesus. That he gave us these great and precious promises so that we can be partakers of the divine nature. And that's what we want. I don't know about you. After you got saved, there really wasn't much left. I just need to be better then. I need to take advantage of the abundant life that God intended for me when he saved me. And he said, guess what? Not only did I love you enough to save you, I love you enough to fix you too. And so I gave you my Holy Spirit. I gave you my, my word. I give you one another. And all of those things are there to transform you back into the image of Jesus. And that is really your lifelong mission. Once you've been saved, there's nothing really else left. As God transforms you, then you will see holiness manifesting itself in your life. Not the other way around. We don't, we don't try to make ourselves holy and then God will use us. No, God is saying, I'm changing you and, I, and I've got all these things for you to do, but you have to do it in my power. And then you'll find yourself living a more holy life. You'll find yourself doing the will of God. You'll find God doing amazing things in your life and through your life when you surrender yourself 100% to him. But we have to do that. We have to surrender ourselves every day because the flesh wants to rise up and take control over and over and over again. And so that's what happens, and unfortunately, we find ourselves at times failing. And so this is a promise of God. Would you like to know what God really does when you fail? We're going to talk about what we think most of the time, or at least what we think a lot of the time. i got to move these, sorry. And I can't see you guys with that thing in my... All right, so... It says in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, 
Nonetheless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. You know what that's saying? God is going to be God no matter what. And it is in his nature to be the way he is, and he is faithful. He can be nothing else. And if that faithfulness is okay, I need to be able to keep my promises. I need to be able to always be the same and be consistent, never be untrue to myself, always have the same nature, never react in a way that's not godly. God has no choice but to be God all the time. And part of his nature then is how he deals with you and me when we fail. So we're going to see that because we don't oftentimes, we don't do it right. Okay, so we have these things, and we wonder why, why is it that I feel this way, and I keep failing, and I'm, and I'm having these feelings. Let me give you some scenarios that kind of explains why we sometimes go in a direction that God doesn't want us to go. What is our response when we fail? So we have a husband and a wife. And they get married, and, they're, and they're, they're having their marriage, and their lives are moving along. And at some point, the husband has an affair. And, and it goes on for a long time, and then the wife finds out. And when she does, the relationship is broken. They get divorced, and the love is ripped apart because there was an expectation for his faithfulness that was broken, and it destroyed the relationship. An employee gets a job, doing really well, but over time he starts being later and later every day. And, and, and then pretty soon he's tardy almost every day he comes to work. And, and the boss asks him to do stuff and explains how he wants it done, and the guy just, just can't get it done. And, and he's kind of lost motivation, and eventually he comes and the boss says, hey, I'd like you to come see me in my office. And he sits down, and the boss says, well, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to let you go. And off he goes. And they don't have a relationship anymore. He had to be fired, and, and so that relationship of, of employee and employer was severed, and it's no more. Then you have a friend, and that friend has been a really good friend. You've known him a long time, and, and you call him up, and, and he always comes over, and then pretty soon he's... He starts not returning your calls, and, and, or, and you asked him to do something, and you really counted on him doing it, and, and for some reason, he just couldn't get it done, and, and maybe he got into some issues of his own, but it, that, it starts into a pattern, and all of a sudden, this fr friend just isn't very faithful, and pretty soon, you just say, this is too much for me, this is too much work, and you sever the relationship, and that relationship is over, and then you're a a son, and you're, you're in your family, and through a lot of circumstances as you're growing up and you get into some bad behaviors and you, you start getting into the drug culture and pretty soon you're, you're doing drugs and then selling drugs and then you're stealing from your parents in order to pay for your habit and they find out and they disown you and you're kicked out of the house and you find yourself with that relationship destroyed. Because what life tells us in the flesh, what life tells us as human beings is our relationships depend on our performance. We say we can love unconditionally, but I've said this before and I'll tell you right now, 
And it's true. There are things I could do to you that would make you stop loving me. I don't plan on doing it. Because I do love you. But we as humans understand that our behavior affects our relationship in a way that we can destroy that relationship. And so when we do it and we fail God and we think God's like us, and if I just keep failing, he's going to boot me out of the family. He's, he's angry. He's disappointed. He, he's just frustrated. Like, I'm so done with you, Tim. The same things over and over again. My goodness, get it together. And because we're human, that's what, the way we think God thinks. But he doesn't. He's God. But when we think that, what do we start to do? What do, we, what, what do you think our response is when that is the way we think God sees us when we fail over and over and over again? What do you think we do? Fake it? Put on our little Sunday school faces and come around and show everybody, oh, everything's good, I'm good with God. Uh, you know, and, 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 but then when we're off, we're just in despair and we, we know God's just done with us. And, but, but I'll just fake it like, like I'm still really in good position with God. Or we hide it. And, and, and I got this problem going on, and I'm, I got this rebellious and, and sin issue in my life, and I'm just going to keep it secret, and nobody will know, and, and, and I can keep it secret from God, and he won't know, and, and then he won't be so disappointed in me. Or we start to justify it and rationalize it or deny it. And none of those things work with God. They might work with your human friends and, and family and relationships and employers. You might be able to hide some of those things or deny it or rationalize why it isn't really all that bad. And God knows better. But because we think God is like us, we try those tactics when we fail because we're just sure that God is going to get fed up with us and boot us out. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, even when we are faithless, he's faithful. Even when we are at our worst, he is faithful. Even when we stink at being Christians, he is faithful. And so we go, and instead of relying on what we think is God's reaction, we need to go to Scripture because God gave us Scripture, gave us the Bible, so we would know Him. He saved us. He sent His Holy Spirit into us, and He wants relationship with us. And He says, look, don't put this human thing on me. I'm telling you in my word, this is who I am. And when you fail, this is how I act. This is my response when you fail. I am trustworthy no matter what. And so we see some promises in God's word that tell us something about him and his character and how it affects us as Christians. Romans 10.9 Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And guess what it doesn't say there as a postscript? Until you really mess up bad. Doesn't say that, does it? Doesn't say, and you will be saved until you're not. And then I'll be done with you. So God is telling us, if you have done it, if you have taken the, uh, 
him into your heart, if you have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you believe he was the Son of God, if you believe he died and was raised on the third day, if you believe he came as a human and lived a perfect life and you accept him as Lord and Savior, you are saved and there's nothing else by grace alone through faith alone. And you got the saving faith from God to start with. And that is salvation. It is not dependent on your performance. It's not dependent on your faithfulness afterwards, although we're going to talk about that. This is not a license to sin. But your salvation is not dependent on your performance afterward. Because God is not a man. That's how we act, but that is not how God acts. And he gives us some more confidence, and it says here, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of most of your sins. No, doesn't say that either, does it? It says, All of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Once again, God is not like man. He saw all the things I was going to do, all the stumbles I was going to make, all the sins I was going to commit. And you know what? He predestined me anyway. And then he called me anyway. And then he regenerated me anyway. And then he gave me saving faith anyway. And then he loved me and saved me anyway. And he's keeping me anyway. He saw it all before the foundation of the world, all the times that I was going to mess up and be unfaithful. And, if, and, and most of the time, you know, in our relationships, if we, if we really, not only that, he knows what I'm thinking. All the stuff I didn't actually do but thought about doing. And those were sins. Think about it. If you look back in your life, at people and they knew everything about you and they knew everything you were going to do before but I almost guarantee my wife would be going the other direction I put her through a lot she's still there so she's faithful but um, God knew all of the rotten things I was going to think and do and he said that's not why I'm saving you I'm saving you because I'm God I'm sovereign I love you and I'm going to redeem you back out of the pit not because of anything you have done but because of the things I have done and I am faithful to you and I will forgive your sins past present and future all of them and then it says he does not deal with us according to Psalm 103, 10 through 12. According to our sins, hey, that's how we do it. We deal with people according to their sins. And when they sin against us, we take revenge. And we have consequences. Now, there are consequences to our sin. But God does not take revenge, nor does he pour out his wrath on us. It says, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. You know, I'm going to get even with you. You did this to me, I'm doing this to you. It's not what God does. That's not God. That's us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I mean, I don't know. You can't go anywhere. I mean, you might, you might go to court and get a good lawyer, if, and if you've done some stuff wrong, and you might get off, they ain't forgetting it. 
You might do some things to your spouse. You might do some things to your friends, and they might forgive you, but they ain't forgetting it. And and it might affect the way they, they act towards you in the future, but that's not God. That's us. God says, as far as the east is from the west, this is hyperbole, people. It's gone. It is gone. And it says, I will present you at the end spotless and blameless because you will wear my righteousness when you stand before the Father. That is God when we fail. That is God when we can't keep up our part of the bargain. And the last one, John 10, 27 and 28, it says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, there's a, there's a lot of uh, theology to, that we could go into and eternal security. And um, if you want to know where I stand, I'd say if it was possible for you to lose your salvation, you'd have already been gone. And that God has given us as a deposit of our heritage, the Holy Spirit, and that he began a good work in me and he will complete it. <clears throat> says God himself, the God of peace, will fix you and present you blameless at the end. And the one who called you is faithful. He will do it. No one can snatch you out of God's hand. And you can't send your way out of heaven because God is not like us. Okay. Want another example? There's a story in the Bible that very, very clearly explains how God deals with us when we fail. You'll recognize it right away. It's called the prodigal son. And it goes like this in Luke 15, 11 through 32. It's actually going to be all the way through 24. But the first three verses here, 11 through 13, and he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And so the father did. He divided his property between them. And actually, if we looked at Bob, we could go to Bob here for reference and say, Bob, what was, this, what was the Jewish tradition? Did the younger son get anything? No, he didn't. So out of grace, the father says, okay, I'm going to give you something. Probably belongs to your older brother, but... He divided his property between him. So not many days later, the younger son had gathered all that was his, and he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's us, people. We have a bountiful inheritance from Jesus. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We have the capability of living holy lives, and yet... We take all the possessions from our Father, and yet we squander them. Now, some degree or another, you know, maybe we don't all end up in the pig pen where there's no, nothing, no farther down we can go, but sometimes that happens. It wasn't necessarily sin, but some of it was definitely sin. I went as far down as I thought I could go, and then God took me farther yet. And I was pursuing a life and I was busy all the time, and I was running two companies, and I was just, I had something to prove, and I wasn't trying to do God's will. I was trying to get God to bless my will. 
And I was in the pig pen and I didn't even know it. Well, God humbled me. And it's the greatest gift outside of my salvation and my family that I ever got. When God took away all the things that were substitutes for him in my life. This is us, people. We're squandering it. When we're unfaithful, we are squandering our inheritance from God. But, does it say anywhere here that God kicked, or that the, the father kicked the son out of the family? No. Did he, did he say, well, hey, okay, if you want to wander off, I'll give you. So does God let us wander off at times? Yes, he does. And you think he's just, just is it sound, sound here like the father's just really steaming angry, like, I hope that guy never comes back. Give him the money, and he just squandered it away. Doesn't say that. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs, I don't know what a pod is, but whatever, that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. So what is the consequences of the sin? It's always bad for us. It's always bad for us. Was the father suffering? He might have been, you know, wondering, where's my son? But, but was the father still eating regular? Did he still have stuff? Yeah. Who lost when the son squandered his inheritance? The son. That's the way it is with sin in our lives. You know what? There's a sin problem. There was a sin problem when Adam and Eve broke God's covenant in, in the garden, Right? And sin entered the world. And everything that was here was broken. Everything, everyone, everything that God had created was broken by the entrance of sin into creation. And he had a sin problem. And he had a plan to fix it. And there were going to be two options. That sin was ever, either going to be covered by Jesus and they would receive grace or they were going to pay the price. And there would be justice. So God no longer has the sin problem, but we do. We have a problem when we sin. It separates us in our daily relationship with God, and just like this young man is suffering the consequences of his sin, that's what happens when we sin. We suffer the consequences because sin hurts us. It is outside our new self. And yet, there it is. It lives inside us in our carnalness, and we take advantage of it all the time. But it always brings pain, and it always takes us away from the path that God wants us to lead. So as a result of his rebellion, he bottoms out in the pig pen. This way never leads to peace or joy or satisfaction, and it certainly doesn't glorify God. Now, is this still a son? According to the story, still it. Didn't lose his salvation, didn't lose, didn't lose his, his membership in the family. But he's not living the kind of life his father wants him to have for the father's glory and the son's good. And that's just like us. And so we see the next phase of the story. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants 
have more than enough to eat, but I perish here with hunger. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So what's going on here? What does God want us to do when we fail? That. That's what God wants us to do. He wants to own it. Own it. Acknowledge that you have sinned. Confess it. Repent of it. Surrender to the Holy Spirit and sacrifice that sin on the cross, on the altar, so that you can be relieved of it. And then it says... Thankfully, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does God want from us when we fail? He wants us back. And he wants us restored. And here's the secret for it. Own it. Confess it. Repent of it. And you're good. It's as far as the east is from the west. Well, what if I do it again? Go through the same process again. He doesn't keep track. He isn't counting. And then all of a sudden, okay, that's one too many. You're done. Again, that's us. You know, the disciples ask him, how many times must I forgive? You know, the French, seven times? And he says, 70 times seven. Is that an actual number that he wants them to forgive him? 490? No. Right? Again, hyperbole is saying, there's no limit. How many times would you like me to forgive you? That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want us to try to fix it. He doesn't want us to try to just be better on our own. He doesn't want us to try to say, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, he wants us to repent, confess, surrender it to him, and he will fix it. He will fix it. You and I can't fix it. We don't have it in us, and it's never a burden that God expected you to take. But because of our humanness, and because we think, well, God must be just tired of me. I'm, I'm, he's sick and tired of me coming to him with those same sins all the time, always asking for, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, he's got to be done with me by now. And so instead of repenting, we just try to hide it. We just try to rationalize it. We just try to deny it like it's not really happening because I can't go back to God another time with the same thing, can I, God? I know you must be done with me. And he's not. And we'll see his reaction in the last part of the story. Oh, my goodness. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off... The father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. Jesus is just waiting for you to come back so he can love on you. His love never faded. His love never went away. You went away, and I went away. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill us. Let us eat and celebrate, for my son was dead. And now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. And they celebrated. Jesus wants you to come back. 
don't sit out there waiting. If you somehow rebelled against God and you think there's no chance of you getting reconciled, it's only one prayer away. It's don't hide it, don't deny it, don't try to rationalize it, give it up, own it, and God is waiting to throw a feast. It says there's more joy for one sinner that was lost that came back. And he left the 99 and went after the one that was lost. If your relationship with God is not where you want it to be, if it's not where God wants it to be, if you think I've just oversend my stay, you haven't. God is waiting to throw a party for you, but he does want you to come back because he knows that the path of sin for his children leads them away from peace and joy and satisfaction. And that's what he wants for you. That's why we say God does not want holiness from you. God wants holiness for you because it is part of the abundant life. It is a gift. When it says, be holy as I am holy, that is both a gift and a command. Be holy because I love you. Be holy so you can find joy. Be holy so you can find satisfaction. And I will help you. We need to choose wisely what our response is because God wants restoration and reconciliation so he can start the celebration when we return from our rebellion with God. For God's glory and and our good, he says, be holy as I am holy. So surrender and let him do it. For he is faithful even when we are not. Thank God. Let's pray. Father, as humans, we, we struggle. We struggle with being faithful, but we also struggle with the response. Because we think you're like us and you're not. We'll lose our patience with us. We'll lose our patience with others. Our love for others can grow cold. Our love for you can grow cold, but yours never does. It's tragic, Lord, when we sin. It's tragic when we rebel against you, but it's even more tragic that we don't come back because we think you're like us. Lord, give us the correct response, which is the response that you want because your only goal is to restore us back. Not to hold it over our head, not to wave it in our face later, because as far as the east is from the west is what you'll do with our sin when we confess and repent. So, Lord, I am so glad that you gave us your Holy Spirit. I am so glad that it enables us to live a, a holy life, but I'm also so glad that you don't boot us out when we fail. You are the loving God, and you are always faithful, even when we're not. Thank you so much. In Jesus' holy name, amen.